tune in to the Family Industrial Complex podcast here on Revolution Radio, Studio B, every Wednesday, 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Get fit, empowered, physically, mentally, and spiritually. Understanding must arise during these times of unparalleled deceit. You into the depths of society on pawn which this a storm brings upon the horizon. It's been said that those that have the eyes to see and the ears to hear will play a paramount role in the furthering of humanity and civilized society. But can civilized society and humanity survive coming conflicts not seen since a dawn of time in ages by past? But you can find true forms of information and knowledge in abundance at revolution.radio, freedomsleps.com, the number one listener-supported radio station on the globe. Stand upon the right side of history. The opinions expressed on the radio station, its programs, and its website by the hosts, guests, and call-in listeners or chatters are solely the opinions of the original source who expressed them. They do not necessarily represent the opinions of Revolution Radio and FreedomSlips.com, its staff, or affiliates. You're listening to Revolution Radio, FreedomSlips.com, 100% listeners. We'll return you to your host. All right, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, uh, wherever you are or wherever you might be in the world, if if such a world exists, issue whether anything exists just at the minute, but uh, making the assumption that the world actually does exist, uh, welcome to Free Association. Uh, my name's Dennis, I'm here every week. Uh, more or less time, 7 o'clock my time in the UK. It's 2 p.m. on the East Coast. Uh, it's a loose show. It's an experimental show. I've got a couple of uh, It's conversation and uh, 
information and catching up on news clips and bits and pieces. Going to do some catching up, I think, tonight. Uh, hopefully, we've got a good connection. So it looks like all the connections are working this week. I didn't even post last week's show. It was such a dog's breakfast. But uh, hopefully, we'll get out without too much trouble this week. All it took was my laptop needed a network reset. But it seems like it needs a network reset every two or three days at the moment. So there's something going on with it that needs sorting out. And um, I don't know what it is. I'm taking this all very, very casually until January. I'll I'll think about it in January. Same as I'll, I'll think about a format for the show in January. But up until that point, I'm not putting any pressure on myself to do anything, really. I'm just going to... I'm going to have some fun with it and play it by ear and see what happens. I want to play a piece, which is a Karen Kingston interview from a few weeks ago, uh, where she talks about the uh, the Ken Paxton law against Pfizer in Texas. I'm not going to do that yet. I'm going to ramble for a few minutes and then play that piece it's about an hour and 20 minutes so if i ramble for 20 minutes and then play the rest of it in hour two that should get get us through so i'm doing a lot of sleeping doing a lot of sleeping i I missed saturday's show because i was asleep and it's the middle of the afternoon but i'm awake all night i've been awake all night for a while now so my sleeping patterns all over the place but again I'm not stressing out about it the only appointments I've got to make sure I get to are my universal credit meetings and I can I can do the jobs I need to do overnight so I don't even need to worry about those too much I just have to I have to be at the office for God, the last one was 20 to 20 to midday the next one that's booked in is the 2nd of January at about half past 10 in the morning, I think, something like that. And I have to be at those, otherwise I don't get my money. But apart from that, I've got no real reason to worry about when I'm sleeping. So I'm I'm going to take it as it happens. So if I'm asleep on a Saturday afternoon, I'm going to miss the show on Saturday. If I'm if I'm asleep on Wednesday, then I'll miss the show on Wednesday. But if I need the sleep, I need the sleep. So that's the way that the world's working at the moment. I'm going to try and get back to normal. But again, I'm going to I'm going to make it getting back to normal for January. I'm not I'm not about it. It's pointless. So I was going to go to a libertarian meeting tonight, but uh, I'm not feeling particularly good, so I'm going to skip that. And uh, what that means is I'll be around for the whole show. And uh, so I might do a, a little bit of a monologue at the end of at the end of the second hour, or I might play some Alexander Christoforo. I haven't made my mind up yet. It's all very improvised 
and it is literally making it up as you go along, but it seems to me that out of two hours, an hour and 20 minutes worth of uh, this Karen Kingston Maria Z content is pretty good of times in the last two or three weeks. And it's good, solid, chunky material. So I'm going to do that, I think, as as the world is. Let's get that set up. I found a good piece by David Martin as well, which is about an hour and 40 minutes. And let me do this from BitChute because it's uh, it's probably going to be easier to do it that way. I return to Maria Z quite often. I seem to like her material and the the timing of it. I like I like interviews that are an hour and twenty minutes because I'm looking for material for the show, and she normally does about that amount of time. So it's useful just to have a reference point as much as anything. Let's see if we can find it on BitChute. screen share sound here we go we should be set up now I'm going to skip the first couple of minutes where the advertising is hopefully we can get a good enough connection get into this All right, this is Maria Z interviewing Karen Kingston. It's from but these public servants have uh, have have weaponized their power uh, to hide the public's data uh, from them. Yeah, and that's an important part of the case, which we'll get to. But and I, I did I did a full analysis on the 54-page uh, petition, and um, uh, Paxton and his team do cite data out of the UK and Scotland, New Zealand data. Uh, have a worldwide impact. And, and yes, thank goodness Steve Kirsch has it. He has the raw data. He's put it up on a server. Uh, so it can be used in courts internationally. And, you know, as we were saying just before we, we went on the air is um, there are statisticians who are allegedly uh, criticizing the data, I guess, in regards to statistical significance and impact. Um, and that has to do with bias, right? But that's really not significant. As we were saying, like, you know, if 3,000 people died on the day that the World Trade Centers collapsed. You go, there's bias because you know the World Trade Centers collapsed. It doesn't matter. There are 3,000 people died. You know the correlation is exact is there, and they died in those buildings, right? Um, so that's what um, this whistleblower uh, brought forward um, with Liz, is that in the country of New Zealand for the past decade, um, if there was 120 or more deaths 
per week in that country, it was because of a catastrophic event. And I think that's what people need to, to understand. So two catastrophic events in 2011, there was two in 2014, there was two in 2015, there was none in 2016, uh, there was about six in 2017. You know, and it, those were the patterns. It never really went over 10. Then all of a sudden, there was a few days in 2021, and the vaccination didn't start in New Zealand until, um, and it was just uh, in the elderly and those healthcare workers, right? In 2020, we did not do a full rollout until um, 2022. And then all of a sudden, I believe it's April of 2022, every week, uh, Maria, there is at least 120 deaths, sometimes 286 deaths, right? Through the entire year, every week for 2022, and then it keeps going through 2023. There is no explanation other than the vaccine rollout. And some of the critics have said, well, COVID-19, the virus didn't hit New Zealand to 2022. So you have to, you have to, um, you know, account for that as a confounding factor. Well, that, that is, that actually goes against the vaccine because if the virus didn't start killing people until 2022, when the vaccination started, it just shows the vaccination was completely useless at best. But the data shows actually was harmful um, and, and, and increased uh, uh, mortality. And one of the things Liz brought up during the interview is uh, they don't even know about the diseases and disabilities that it has also caused, which is um, multiple, you know, two, three, four, five, tenfold of what the deaths are. So it is very damning evidence that I do believe is going to be used uh, globally. Uh, and I, I hope other uh, attorney, uh, attorney generals in the United States of America um, move forward with prosecuting Pfizer. And, and the reason people go, why is the Attorney General of Texas prosecuting Pfizer and not Moderna and J&J? It's because, of their it's because Pfizer owns the intellectual property. They own the vaccines. Um, they did not take a cent from the U.S. government in regards to research and development uh, or, the, or, or the development of the technology. Uh, so that's why. So uh, Paxton isn't going to take on suing the, the, the U.S. government because Moderna shares the intellectual property with the U.S. government. Um, as do the other manufacturers, their NIH property. Well, as as this news of uh, this fake news of the Texas Attorney General um, suing Pfizer spreads, and and this is incredibly encouraging for the entire global community that's been fighting against these these big pharma cartel. Uh, as this spreads, the New Zealand data will obviously be very helpful for everyone wanting to do the same thing, uh, which is which is sue Pfizer and sue their government. By the way, this is what needs to happen now. From this momentum to huge monumental mental uh, bits of news in the past week about the big pharma cartel uh, and, and the yeah. government that, that's hiding the crimes. As this news spreads around the world, people really need to jump on the train of, uh, of collecting the evidence against their governments. And really, Karen, the safest thing for the whole world right now would be if lawyers in every single country started doing the same thing. I just want to really quickly, before we, we move on to some of this um, some of this information from the case, Karen, which you, by the way, again, targeted immensely. You were on this very broadcast showing that every country can sue these pharma giants. Uh, and it's absolutely not just exclusive to the state of Texas. Uh, and you yeah. were right, vindicated. Um, but uh, but I want to show really quickly. Clear, though, Pfizer's the target, though, because of the contract, they are not... Uh, um Enjoined with the U.S. government. Yeah. So you, I'm not saying not to go after Moderna and the U.S. government, but what I'm saying is we need action and yeah. we need resolution now. And so precedent. So that's why 
A.G. Paxson is going after Pfizer. He did an investigation on Moderna and J&J. It was very wise not to, to, to take on all three behemoths at the same time. It was very wise to not add a fourth behemoth, which is the U.S. government. So he's just strictly taking on Pfizer. Yep. Yep. Um, really quickly, uh, Steve Kirsch, um, he, he's published his data. Uh, it's online. There have been a couple of, uh, of, of analysts that have looked at it and said the data's incomplete. Um, and, and given their sort of, um, you know, perspective on it, I, I want to bring up this particular Igor, um, Chudov. He's actually given an update. He was one of the original people that said, I'm not so sure about this data. Since then, he's actually spoken with Steve Kirsch. Uh, uh, he realizes why the data looks the way that it does. It was due to the paper dose system. Um, it's all explained by Steve Kirsch and Igor's actually given an update as well. So I think it's important for people to consider, um, you know, that as, as more people look at this, um, and by very open, he said, if anyone has questions about the data or want to challenge it, I spent weeks looking at it, please contact me directly. Uh, so I just want to tell people, go to Steve's Substack, uh, sorry, Steve's, um, Steve's X account. The first post that he has there is if you want to contact him and his team are very, very responsive. If you want to uh, debate this data, please do so, because the uh, the New Zealand government uh, has actually, by their own admission, <laughs> they've said, oh, the health worker was arrested after the COVID vax data was allegedly misused. A health worker has been arrested and charged after allegedly misusing and disclosing vaccination data while spreading misinformation about COVID-19, police told One News this evening. Now, what's happened is they haven't denied that the data is real, Karen. And yeah. what Steve has said is that what they should be doing now, because this is only from the paper dose system and, and limited data, uh, they, what they should be seeing all of the data to the public and yeah. about every single injection and what the outcome has been and then let the public decide if the data's not if, if the data is misinformation, which is not possibly misinformation, the guy worked for the New Zealand Ministry of Health. Um, it, it's, uh, if the data is, is wrong, then put, put out the real safety data so that the world can say, see these are perfectly safe. But that is just not the case, Karen. It's never been the yeah. case. We're all aware of it. Uh, and, uh, and I'll, I'll let you comment on that. Yeah, I just want to explain what the data is. So Igor was criticizing, saying, what kind of data is this as a pay per, you know, pay per shot date where they're paying the healthcare provider? If the death information is in there, it should just remain a shot. Well, um, I was a rep in the 90s, as people know. And what we used to do was experience programs. That's what we called them, early experience programs. So um, we would pay high volume doctors when a new product came out to give it to their patient. So we, let's say we paid them $250 to give this patient an antihypertensive. Then they had to track that patient for outcomes for the next year. You know, or we, you know, and then we pay the staff $50. And we, I mean, we literally did this. Well, the United States government, the World Health Organization and different global bodies said, well, uh, you cannot um, bribe doctors under the guise of market research, which is what we were doing. That's that. That's it. So that became illegal. But during COVID, what the pharma companies were, um, laws were put against us. We were fined for doing things that they considered unethical and illegal. Now, all of a sudden, global governments were deploying it. So what this was, was um, healthcare providers in New Zealand, as far as I can tell, this is exactly what it was. They were given 
a, a certain payment for every injection that they gave patient, and then they were told to track that patient. So that's why some people have got their first dose. Sometimes it's the fifth dose. And that's why they would be tracking to the point where there was a death, because they were being paid to track the outcome. That is called an experience program. The World Health Organization lines in 2019 saying that these are grossly unethical and in violation of what is considered ethical and legal human experimentation. It is another charge of criminal human experimentation, believe it or not. Uh, according to global guidance on uh, human experiments. So does that make sense why some people got their fourth shot or fifth shot and why they would be tracking the death data? Yes, that, that makes sense. And I believe that that's the conclusion that a lot of people that are now understanding this are coming to who were initially critical of the data. They understand that there's more to this piece and that regardless of the limited data set in terms of, you know, only dose three or whatever it may be, uh, that that it's still damning evidence uh, of how many people actually died as a direct result from the injection. So this is huge, Karen. Um, I, I want to say it on air with you as well. You know, anyone that specialises in whistleblower law um, and and should be running with this, running to help the New Zealanders right now. Also, you know, lawyers right now should be banding together on how they're going to make this happen in every single country. MP Andrew Bridgen already has gone to the UK government uh, with with the fact that he's see, he's actually seen all of the data um, and and you know he's not going to stop. I know the governments all around the world are starting to look at this. I, I can't say too much, but it is happening. So uh, you know, it's it's huge, Karen. It's absolutely colossal. Um, and then I guess we can we can talk about the Texas. Uh, the well, yeah, Texas situation well, as well. In the United States, so if they, if the, if the U.S. Um, attorney wants to use the New Zealand data, uh, they can look up the Resolin case. So Resolin was a metformin. It's for diabetes, you know, and it was Park Davis. They did an early experience program when they first got the approval. Uh, and again, the point is to to track outcomes because you think they're going to be favorable outcomes. Uh, well, what they found was people were dying of liver failure. Okay, and Park Davis has internal communications, emails back and forth to one another, just like the White House has done with the CDC and industry about the myocarditis saying, hey, look, uh, Park Davis was in communication internally with their um, with their team saying, cover up this data, right? So so that's what happened in this program. So um, there is precedent and standing in the United States for when you're doing an experience program, which is basically an open label market research program, you start finding uh, tropic injury outcomes uh, in the case with res liver failure and death in the case with these shots um, you have a responsibility to uh, stop the experiment stop the experience uh, and and they didn't so there's a lot of precedent i'm um i commend the whistleblower for coming forward his i know he's uh, um, been arrested by the police but his his bravery was not in vain i think this is going to have huge global impact well, I want to say at the time of this recording of this interview, Karen, this is going out tonight, but waiting for the outcome of the uh, the uh, at the time of this recording, the police are still working on gathering their evidence to refuse the whistleblower bail. Uh, and a lot may come out between the time that we finish our interview and post it. But uh, I'll just say what I know thus far for people viewing. Please go to my Telegram channel, Z Media with three E's, one word, uh, and all of the updates will be posted in there uh, as well. All right. Well, Karen, you've, you you want to take us through uh, a presentation. Let's get into that uh, and uh, and then we'll we'll come back. So, um, so this is Attorney General Paxton. He is the uh, Attorney General uh, for the state of Texas, uh, and uh, they bring uh, cases against uh, on behalf of the citizen residents of Texas 
um, against manufacturers. They can even go, they can actually bring cases against the federal government. So that's what the AG office does. So this is really important. On May 1st of 20, not that long ago, he announced that he, he announced a civil investigation um, into uh, of uh, documents into Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson & Johnson uh, because he, you know, again, he's been in communication. I don't know if you know this. He's been in communication with Clay Clark. I've seen him at the tours. I've actually uh, met with him. I had been in some co- communication with his office just a, a little bit. Um, but so he, he had enough information to go, look, if they acted in a, a legal manner um, and they compromised the safety of um, the, the residents of Texas, um, and if they misled the public, you know, um, to basically benefit themselves, he goes, then we're going to start an investigation and we're going to hold them to account. Then the House in the state of Texas impeached him. Now, they, now he obviously was successful and now he's back in office. Now, I know you have a large global audience, so I want to explain why this is so significant. So the United States would actually act, each state is its own, is kind of its own country within the union. Um, and I think a lot of people don't understand this. And the state of Texas um, actually has 30 million residents as of, as of this year, um, about $2 trillion in revenue. So these are the numbers from before. And, um, you know, the economy and the number of residents is, is bigger than Russia, Canada, and Australia. Uh, so I think it's really important for people to un- understand that and that each state has its own constitution. We have our own state laws, and each state has its own judicial branch and its own house and its own Senate. So each state is kind of its own independent country. And the state of Texas also has its own military, you know. Um, so it, and it's, going, it's actually working on my understanding. What I've heard is they're actually working on a secondary currency that's going to be gold backed as well. So that's really important. So the concept of this PREP Act um, being, uh, you know, a clause that was passed in a $3,000 pork, a 3,000 page pork bill by Congress, it, it doesn't mean every state is going to adopt it, right? That this is not going to happen. Um, each state has its own state laws. You can't get an abortion uh, in the ninth month in every state. You can do it here in California, but you'll be charged with murder in Texas, right? So people need to understand that. And, and, and A.G. Paxton uh, is truly uh, an American hero. Um, and, and a Texan for saying, no, I'm going to protect the people of Texas. That's my job. That is my first loyalty is to protect the people of Texas. So he did, uh, he, he announced um, basically an investigation of the gain-of-function research and the COVID-19 manufacturers in May. Then on November 30th, just last week, he said, we're going to pursue the justice for the, uh, justice for the people of Texas who were co- coerced by tyrannical vaccines and mandates to take a defective product sold by lies. These are his amazing. words, literally. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, amazing. So people go, okay, but he can't do anything because under the vaccine law, so let's put the PrEP Act aside, under the vaccine law, you can, you can actually commit fraud. You can actually misrepresent a product. You can mislabel a product. That is true, except if you look under Section C of the vaccine law, it says unless there's other criminal or illegal activity relating to the safety and the effectiveness of the vaccine. So meaning... You engaged in another crime or you violated another crime. Same thing with the PREP Act. So people are going, well, it says willful misconduct is legal if you're following government orders, right? Which means you knowingly commit a crime. You knew the outcomes were worse uh, than the benefit. You knew you had no legal or factual justification, right? Um, but again, that's not upholdable in the state of Texas. There is, I, there is not going to be one judge in the state of Texas that's going to say, 
um, let's say Pfizer comes and goes, Judge, you have no authority to rule on this case. Uh, we knew that the product, we knew that the product was going to cause disease, disabilities, and death. We knew it was going to cause, um, you know, basically the death of innocent adults and children. But uh, there's this little get out of jail free called, card called the PrEP Act, so you can't do anything. A judge is not is going to tell Pfizer to go to pound sand, and a judge in Texas is not going to say, "Oh, I'm sorry, there's a public health emergency." So now the government can give school boards, healthcare providers, employers the right to commit murder or attempted battery assault and murder against innocent adults and children. We're going to be worse than Nazi Germany. A judge in Texas isn't going to uphold it. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So again, this is basically someone pulling out a monopoly card. So they filed the lawsuit under the Deceptive Trade Practices Act, and there's tons of precedent and case law and standing in the state of Texas for this. Um, and at the federal level, there's the um, um, the SOX Act. The um, why am I blanking? Sorry, I can't remember. Anyway, there's okay. um, 2002 law that was passed um, that you can you can bring charges against Pfizer under two. It's, it's SOX, SARS-LEOX. I can't, I don't I'm blanking on the, the actual. That's all right. What it is, is these are, these are violations of business law where you cannot deceive a consumer. Um, you cannot, and, and so the way Pfizer acted is it, they acted in an unconscionable manner. And I've been saying that since day one. The problem with the PrEP Act saying that you can legally commit murder, you know, is that it's an unconscionable clause. In, in contract law, even in the state of California, you cannot have an unconscionable clause that says, um, you know, I'm hiring you as a driver. If while you're driving, you get drunk and kill somebody, don't worry, you will not be held accountable for your crime. Yeah. You just can't it's, do that. That's not. Yeah, it's an unconscionable clause. So the other thing about unconscionability, though, in the state of Texas, how they define it under the Deceptive Trade Practices Act, is that it takes in lack of knowledge or expertise, right, to a grossly unfair degree, which is what that 95% efficacy claim was, right? Because it was never, people thought that they were, had a 95 chance of not getting infected. That's mm -hmm. not the case. So uh, it arises when a, a savvy seller manipulates an unsticated buyer into purchasing an item that they don't really want or need, which is exactly what happened with the vaccines. People didn't need them, but they were manipulated and lied to into believing that they did. And if they had known the truth about the risks of those injections and the lack of efficacy, they would have never, they would have never had them. And, and they would well, well, well here's, here's, here's the interesting thing. If you just go back to that, Karen, because people yeah. might say, oh, well, that just lets the government off the hook now. They're going to say, oh, well, the government thought that these were efficacious and they went ahead and then, you know, th this lets the government off the hook. But no, it doesn't. Um, but but just and, and you can speak to that, Karen. But my thing is, it's holding Pfizer accountable then brings accountability for a myriad of other things. It puts, we, we need more public doubt about mRNA and engines in general uh, in the mainstream. We need, this is what we need moving forward. So I don't see any issue whatsoever with this, but please speak to that, Karen. Sure. So this, in the, in the lawsuit, um, the, the legal team, brilliant, brilliant. I mean, um, I have chills just re they're so brilliant in what they wrote. They fully understand the EUA law. They fully understand the clauses. They fully understand that an EUA authorized product is not the same as an FDA approved product. The FDA said, we don't really think this is effective. That's literally what the FDA said in their documents, right? And they go through all of that. But Pfizer misrepresented to the U.S. Uh, population uh, mm -hmm. and to Texans. 
as if this was FDA approved, as if they had six months of data, they had 95% efficacy, as if this is as safe as any FDA approved product. And by the way, in their contract under Operation War Speed, it says whether you get authorization or approval, you must guarantee that this product is as safe and as effective as any FDA approved product. Did Pfizer do that? No. So they're in breach of their contract with the U.S. government, and they misrepresented the actual data and authorization that they got from the FDA. Yes. Uh, I want to add that chasing the accountability is separate um, because, again, people are going to say, oh, well, the, you know, the government's just going to say they were misrepresented and misled and they get off the hook. No, no. But what we need to understand is that is that lawsuits, cases of this nature take time uh, and they're methodical. And, uh, and you know, every time there's a new case, there's new discovery that comes out of that case. Uh, so there's a lot, there's a lot here. I just, because people are going to freak out. We're letting well, the government off the hook. No, they're not. And the thing is, if you go after the government, it would take years um, because they're, they filed a restraining order against Pfizer underneath the DTPA law as well. They, they have reason to expedite the case. Yeah. Right. So this could be done in like we're talking months, 90 days. Right. We're talking fast. So why are they going after? Why are we going after Pfizer, not Moderna? Moderna is the the intellectual property for the vaccines that Moderna owns is partially owned by the United States government. As I have been saying, I have been wrongfully accused of being controlled opposition for saying this. (laughs) Pfizer owns the intellectual property for the mRNA vaccines. Pfizer did not take a cent. For the clinical trials, they conducted the clinical trials, but they did not take a cent from the government to conduct them. They and they own the manufacturing. So, what does the lawsuit say? Uh, it says um, uh, the reason why we can go after Pfizer is because Pfizer did United States government in conjunction with Operation Warp Speed to provide financial support for vaccine research and development. The Pfizer U.S. government supply agreement entered into January on July 22, 2020, provided that Pfizer fully retained all patents and intellectual property arising from the product project. I covered this all throughout 2022, and I just want to show from one of my substacks that I published in 2023, um, I wrote about the Mo- why Pfizer, um, why Moderna uh, lost legal war against Pfizer because Pfizer uh, made their intellectual property trade secret. But what I talk about is the government forfeited all own rights to Pfizer. And now I've been told that's not true, right? It is true. You, State Attorney General Paxson says that. Uh, they forfeited their rights under the Bay-Dole Act in their contracts. And the Bay-Dole Act, if you use any of the government's money or you contract with the government, we take ownership of the product, right? right. Well, they forfeited it. It says right here, the government acknowledges that the Bay-Dole Act does not apply to or govern this agreement, meaning property. Right? I'm just showing people the evidence that the Attorney General of Texas is correct. Not that I'm correct, but that the Attorney General is correct, right? Um, it also states here... Um, that uh, there's something called a reduction to uh, a practice clause. So all inventions conceived are first actually reduced to practice. That means as soon as Pfizer manufactured their first vial, whether it was used in a mouse or a human, that they own that intellectual property. As soon as you manufacture it, that's the first time that this product exists in the, you know, in our universe, in the planet, and you own it. The government doesn't own it. All right. Sometimes under government contracts manufacturing, the government says we now own it. They forfeited that. So that's why they said, as you make first vial, you and all the intellectual property of that vial and every vial that you manufacture thereafter. Um, the reason why they use term prototype isn't because they didn't know what a prototype was. Prototype fulfills the reduction of practice clause. It means once you start manufacturing, this is the first time this product has ever existed. So that means 
your product is different from Moderna's. It's different from the NIH product. It's a completely separate intellectual property. So that makes sense? Yes. All right. Um, and then I did an interview with Stu Peters. If people, I went through all three contracts and why Pfizer is most vulnerable. If you can look it up in January 2022, um, so over, over a year ago. So what is, uh, you know, what's the public interest? Uh, A.G. Paxton and his team is saying is that they believe that Pfizer has caused injury, loss, and damage um, and adverse effects uh, to the lawful conduct of trade and, and commerce, right? They committed fraud, they deceived the public, and they hurt them. Um, and so we are going to uh, be suing them and fining them. Now, what's important is in the document, it states 3.5 million Texans as of mid-2021 received a Pfizer vaccine. So that's so when you start saying what the fines are going to be, each person that was injected is at least one of those counts. Right. right? So you got a $10,000 fine per count times 3.5 million people. So these nice. are the actual charges. Yeah. So these are the actual charges. Again, the PrEP Act, this, there's, there's, there, this has nothing to do with the PrEP Act. The, the PrEP Act cannot say, okay, you can commit murder now in Texas as long as the federal government told you to. That's why we have states that are separate from the federal government. That's why states have their own laws. So they're saying under um, 17.46 of the Deception Trade uh, Act, uh, you acted in a false, misleading, and deceptive way. And the charges are actually, um, I, I have them all written out, um, and that the false, it's like B5, B7, B8, B24. I'll show you. So you acted a false, misleading, or deceptive way where you represented that your goods um, the approval of them, so that FDA approval, the characteristics or benefits um, uh, were, were, were misrepresented, right? They misrepresented the FDA approval, and they misrepresented the efficacy and the safety. Also, that your goods, which is the vaccine, um, are of particular standard or quality. I'm sorry, that would have been the FDA approval. You represented that this stuff was FDA approved. You uh, disparaged the services or businesses of another um, of another person uh, by false or misleading facts. So when Alex Berenson, for example, who was a New York Times reporter, was all over Twitter saying, hey, these vaccines were never proven to be effective to prevent transmission. Right. That's when Scott Gottlieb from the FDA intervened and Twitter banned Berenson. Right. Yes. So that's one of the charges here is that you were scheming to uh, submit the truth. Uh, um, Yes, science the truth. And then lastly, they're saying, um, which is, by the way, part of when when we looked at it, that's part of it. It's not only the the fact that Pfizer lied. It's also the fact that they tried to censor the truth around this. So this is this is crucial. Yeah. And that they collaborated with social media because this is going to set a precedent or stop Biden's executive order where AI is now going to be monitoring um, our our uh, freedom of speech and Moderna has set up an internal uh, social media misinformation panel working with former intelligence agency executives. So this will set a precedent. We'll talk um, about just 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 for for the viewers that uh, that executive order of Biden. We will talk about that. That is crucial for everyone to understand and how this fits into stopping that as well. Do go on, Karen. Yeah, and then lastly, the failure to disclose information, um, which if known at the time, the consumer would not have entered into uh, an agreement or transaction, right? People had known the true rate of myocarditis, if they had known that these contained contaminants like nanotechnologies, if they had known that they had less than a 1% chance of reducing their risk of infection compared to doing nothing, which is the biggest point here, then they would have never accepted the vaccine. Yeah. So these are all the counts. So it's count one. You can see misrepresentation of relative risk. And I'll go through what that is. Um, 
misrepresentation of the durability of protection. There was no durability. It increases your risk for infection. Misrepresentation of transmission. It, 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 this is going to be a little bit fun, Maria, because they actually cite uh, Gottlieb and Berla, who's the C advisor, and it's hysterical when you now in hindsight listen to what their lies were. Um, the protection against variants, and then the scheme to conceal vaccine underperformance. So that is collaborating with social media to silence truth tellers. Um, so this is a copy of the complaint, um, and it opens up with that Pfizer broadcasted, right, which they were not supposed to do under emergency use authorization. They had no right to promote the efficacy or safety of the vaccine. That was only to be done by the U.S. government. But no, they put out press releases. They went on speaking tours. Gottlieb showed up on CNBC every morning, you know, to talk about it. Uh, so they went and said the vaccine was 95 percent, right? Yep. Um, and uh, they're saying this number, you don't understand it because it was it was it was a statistical um, rationale number that was run that you would only understand it in a highly technical and artificial way. Mm -hmm. And uh, no one understood the difference between relative risk in reduction and absolute risk in reduction. So people thought this was absolute risk. If I get the shot, I have a 5% chance of getting infected. And if I don't get the shot, I have like a 100% chance of infected, getting infected. And again, the case cites this specific data, and I um, and they even cite the 409 people, which I've been I've probably brought up a hundred times over the last two years. They go, look, you had 17,000 people in each group. In the placebo group, 162 people became infected, and in the vaccine group, eight people became infected. This is actually in the lawsuit. They go, well, the difference between eight and 162 out of you know 17,000 people is your relative reduction was point or your absolute reduction in risk was 0.85%. So the relative reduction in risk going from 0.85% to 0.05%, which was the Pfizer, right? That was 95%. But no matter what group you were in, you had a less than 1% chance of becoming infected. You only had a 0.85%. So you had eight tenths of a percent more likely chance of being infected. I can tell you, Maria, I've launched, I've launched, I've done the phase three data. I've made the charts and graphs for doctors. We never talk about a point fraction of a percent. That is mm -hmm. clinically insignificant. Absolute reduction. You have to show that there is a 30% greater benefit to your treatment than the placebo. Right. Mm -hmm. They didn't. It was less than 1%. Wow. It, it was clinically insignificant, but people thought that they had a 95% absolutely infected. And then what they point out is what I pointed out is that 409 people came down with severe COVID within one with after getting the first shot or within one week of after getting the second shot versus 287 in the placebo group. Right. And they just didn't count them. So efficacy was never there. And again, if you understand EUA law, um, you know, it says that there it may be effective, right? So the FDA is actually off the hook for authorizing authorizing this because it doesn't have to be effective; it can just may be effective, right? Right. So they point that out. So this is so again. Oh, I should have gone to this. So these are technicalities. I just want to say, Karen, these are technicalities that most people wouldn't understand or think of. You know, when I think. When, uh, you know, people are dying, let's just sue them. Uh, but there's, there is really a, a process that um, it's this complex uh, and we need more of them. We just need more of them, Karen. Well, yeah, to me, it's, it's, uh, for me, I do this with my eyes closed. I actually presented this in July of 2021 
in Branson, Missouri. This was the chart that I showed them. So this um, shows that um, your chance of getting infected was less than 1% if you got the placebo, and it was less than 1% if you got the Pfizer, and the, redu the relative reduction in risk was 0.85%. Right. And you can say that with it's a 95% confidence interval. So you can be 95% confident if you get the vaccine, you'll have less than a 1% chance of getting infected. And if you don't have the vaccine, you'll have less than a chance of getting infected. Right. That's what this is. Yeah. So I'm really, again, when I read this and like I'm, I'm reading through it, they didn't actually call out all the data. But in my mind, you know, my little hamster mind, I'm going to like this page of this document, that page of documents. So I want to show people that this is. This is ironclad. I am just thrilled. So here's the thing. So again, durability of, of protection and transmission. So straight out of the petition, um, in February 2021, Albert Furla, the CEO of Pfizer, um, when he was asked about how long the protection would last, he said at six months, the protection is robust. So he says this in February 2021, okay? They didn't have six-month data in February 2021. They only had two months data and of that two months data 14,000 oh, nearly 15,000 people had um, less than two months data right? right so the other thing is the FDA clearly says here um, I want to go down here first that there's lack of data on how the vaccine impacts uh, infection and shedding he's saying we prevent infection and shedding. This is from the FDA authorization, November 20th, 2020, uh, which was issued officially December 10th. And they're saying, we don't know if it stops infection. And we don't know if you actually can infect. Uh, and then they also say there's going to be problems if Pfizer unblinds the, um, tr the placebo group. And they asked Pfizer to not unblind the placebo group, right, for two years. Well, Pfizer started injecting the placebo group at two months. Right. And they point that out in this petition as well, saying this data is fraudulent, like it's it, it lacks any statistical or clinical significance. So really, again, brilliant, um, brilliant point. The other thing, too, is, you know, Berla saying that publicly we have robust data at six months. Well, the FDA approval, which happened on August 23rd, 2021, says missing information is whether or not the vaccine is effective. What they do know is it causes myocarditis. Yeah. But they don't know if it prevents infection. Yep. So these were all. And then the other thing is in September of 2021, the FDA, uh, Pfizer submitted a document to the FDA where Pfizer says, oh, we tracked the group who got injected versus the ones who were originally injected. And it looks like over time, once you get your two shots, your risk for infection increases. So. Oh, would you look at that? Yeah. 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 <laughs> So how are they saying it reduces infection when Pfizer says analysis appears to indicate that incidents of COVID-19 generally increased in each group of study participants with increasing time post-dose two? Yes. This was also proven by the Cleveland Clinic, which is over um, 40,000 employees, and I don't have that slide in here. So they can then validate it with the Cleveland Clinic. Okay, so then count five is you lied about protection against variants, right? So Scott Gottlieb went on CNBC, which he kept doing, and he said, um, if you get infected with the Delta variant infection, the most serious virus they can get in their lifetime in terms of risk of putting them in the hospital, right? So, so he's terrifying people. So this is another part of the misrepresentation is that they did manipulate, emotionally manipulate, people, and they used terms that they knew were easily misunderstood. So then Berla in March of 2021 says, I don't worry about variants. He goes, the worst thing is to start making vaccines for things that we don't need, implying that the vaccine works against the variants. And then 
he makes this claim saying that it, their vaccines, which they never tested for at the time, was 100% effective against variants such as South Africa and including the Delta variant, right? Even though they never tested against it in the phase two, two three trials. So one of, the, one of the data points that they bring up here is um, it's a Barstow study out of Massachusetts where there was a get-together in Massachusetts towards October 2021, and most people were vaccinated and they got infected. Uh, they also bring up this morbidity, morbidity mortality weekly report from the CDC, and I presented this uh, at an event with General Flynn in uh, November of 2021. It had just come out. So nine hospitals across um, nine states with people who were infected with COVID-19 between January and September, right? So people who were fully vaccinated, they found this is their end population, 6,300, and then 1,000 people who were unvaccinated. And they tested whether or not they were um, positive for SARS-CoV-2. So first of all, just look at their population, you know, and they're trying to make this data look favorable. The majority of people that were hospitalized with SARS-CoV-2 were fully vaccinated. Yes, but what this shows is only 5.1% tested for SARS-CoV-2. Oh, I forgot what this number. Oh, and this number is 8.7% tested for SARS-CoV-2. So they're like, well, maybe it's the Delta variant. And we all know the PCR test was a bogus test. It didn't show anything. Well, when they tested for the Delta variant in another group of people later on in the, um, in the year when the Delta variant became dominant, again, 96% of the people hospitalized with the Delta variant were, were vaccinated versus 3.5%. Take data that they picked to make this look good, make the vaccine look good. Yes. And, okay, the fully vaccinated people, they said 6% of them tested positive for Delta versus 10% who had natural immunity. So they're thinking this makes look good, makes the vaccine looks good. No. All this showed was that whether you are um, – when you're hospitalized for COVID-19, whether you're tested for a variant or the original virus, the test to confirm is going to show that you, you don't have the disease. It's going to be an ICD-10 code, a diagnostic code. So if you're hospitalized with COVID, the confirmation that you have COVID is the doctor said you did. So you get yes. financially hospitalized. Yes, of but course. I think the most alarming data is the majority of people in the hospitals are, are vaccinated. Yeah. And, we, and we've seen that. And then so so what I've had what I've had analysts tell me before, Karen, uh, mm-hmm. is oh well there, there's a much higher injected population than there is an uninjected population. Therefore, this doesn't prove just because there's more people in the in the hospital that are injected doesn't prove that the injection isn't effective. It's just that there are more of them. So naturally, there'd be more of them in the hospital. It's like no, hang on a minute. These pharma companies and these government officials came on the television and they said, if you are not injected, you will be in hospital, you will die, so so forth. Yet we have such high numbers. There should be not one person in the hospital who was injected. Not one. Exactly. We were told it would stop action and transmission. So, and that's exactly, so we're Albert Burles, I don't worry about variants, yeah. right? Scott Gottlieb says, if you get infected with Delta, you're going to go into the hospital. And, and then Burla, and by the way, Scott Gottlieb is on the FDA board, right? He's an executive. He's a board member. Then Berla, his boss, the CEO, goes, I don't worry about variants. You're not going to go in the hospital if you get the injection, if you get her shots. That, yep. that was their claim. So, so, and then, um, again, protect the elderly, which, is, um, which was a giant um, joke. I went into the uh, United States Census data because it was cleaned for 2020. And this is a really important point, uh, Maria. In 2020, we had six point, more than 6.6 million seniors over the age of 85. Um, that, that population had been steadily growing for about two decades. 
2021 was the first year that we had a decline in that population, 85 and older. And that was the whole point of getting vaccinated. Maria, it was by more than 700,000 because it went from 6.6 million. It was supposed to have a two or 300,000 person growth. So we may have massacred 1 million elderly over the age of 85 in 2021 because of the vaccine. They were the first group to get the injections. And we lost anywhere between 750,000 and over a million in that group for the first time in history. It is the largest massacre of that population in the history of America. And uh, it was the first time in 20 years where there was a demonstration. But, hey, the Department of Defense pulled the Center for Medicare Medicare and Medicaid Services data of 5.7 million um, seniors over the age of 65. And with the Delta variant, what they found was 71 percent of the COVID cases occurred in fully vaccinated individuals. And 60% of the hospitalization was in fully vaccinated individuals. Now, this doesn't include people that got one or two shots within less than two weeks. So that whole bogus thing, you know, once you get injected with this synthetic pathogen, they're calling a vaccine, you should be considered vaccinated. So it was probably more than 90% of the people that were in the hospital had gotten at least one shot or even two shots. Yes. You know, but they didn't do it in two weeks. Yeah. So this, okay, so this is the count five, which is scheming to cover up the truth. So um, Alex Berenson is a New York Times um, journalist. And I actually did email the attorney general's office and I said, um, I said, please take a look uh, at the media appearances, Alex Berla and uh, um, Scott Gottlieb and Alex Berla. So I didn't mention Berenson. Oh, but I said, you can check out the Berenson case, right? So -hmm. the Berenson case is he's suing Scott Gottlieb, um, he's suing from Pfizer. He's suing um, Berla from Pfizer, the CEO, and he's suing Twitter. So he already filed a case. So um, he basically had stated that um, uh, Pfizer's vaccine, uh, regarding Pfizer's vaccine, that it wasn't proven to be safe and effective. So what uh, AG Paxton's office is saying is the claims were at the time he made them. He's citing like the Israeli data, um, and they've been corroborated. They've been confirmed by uh, subsequent data analyses. Um, And they say recently has been revealed that Pfizer had reason to know of the veracity of Brenson's claims, so the the validity, the truth he made them, and that the company nonetheless plotted to silence Alex Brenson and limit his speech from public discourse. Now, again, he's suing Pfizer separately from this. Um, For example, on August 24th, 2021, the day after the FDA approval, Scott Gottlieb complained directly to Twitter about Berenson, um, um, Berenson's content that was being promoted on Twitter because he was getting a lot of views, millions of views. So Gottlieb claimed that this content was the reason why Tony, meaning Anthony Fauci, needed a security detail. So this, Good. Is, the letter, this is the letter that Scott Gottlieb or email sent directly to Twitter. Let me clarify right? there where I say good, Karen. I'm not, I'm not advocating for violence here. I'm just saying these people, criminals, uh, should be afraid of what's going to happen to them because accountability is coming. Please go on. Accountability yeah. justice system. Go on. So he, so they call him, right? So Gottlieb calls Brenson, a New York Times reporter, right? An award New York Times reporter. He doesn't work at the Times anymore. A conspiracy theory. You know, August 24th, 2021. He goes, this is what promote, this is what's promoted on Twitter. This is why Tony needs the security detail, right? So he's saying, um, you know, silence this guy. So anyway, Brenson ended up getting, um, shut down. So they shut down his account immediately after they got email from Gottlieb. 
And then Gottlieb's totally trolling him. Scott Gottlieb, again, former FDA commissioner under Trump uh, on the board of Pfizer. He emails uh, another tweet to them saying, looks, looks like he switched accounts on you because Alex has opened up another account and said, hey, you know, welcome back. You know, I'm back, Twitter. So clearly stalking the guy and, and silencing him on behalf of the big pharma company for sharing the truth. Then this is November 2021. Then they do kick Berenson off. Again, remember, they call him a conspiracy theorist. This is what Pfizer tweets out. Wild conspiracy theories that our vaccine doesn't work. The human brain. And then silence. I mean, this is creepy. You know? Yeah. Silence. And the guy's, like, sweating. You know? Pfizer tweets out. Radio, kind of a dark monster that's we'll eating the human right brain. You know? So you don't find the truth. Yeah. That is, that is beyond creepy. And, you know, uh, uh, just the, the arrogance, you know, the arrogance of Godly. Ladies and gentlemen, your lives are becoming more difficult as the life force of your world is draining away. Have you noticed that as everything around you seems to decline, one thing still grows? It is the power of your rulers. None of their plans and directives have solved your problems or made your life better. The only result has been their increased control at the cost of your freedom. Do you know why? You gave them the power. They called for your sacrifice, and you thought it was noble. They said if you worked for yourself, family, that you were and uncaring, and they made you feel ashamed. They denounced the leaders of industry as greedy exploiters. You agreed. All evil needs to win is the consent of good people. To everyone within the range of my voice, you now have a choice to make. If you decide to support the notion of sacrifice enforced by the state, your game is up. Your world is in a downward spiral, and you will ride it down to destruction. But if you share the values, if you believe that your life is a sacred possession for you to make the most of, if you want to live by the judgment of your own mind, not edicts from the state, then follow our lead. Do not support your own oppressors. Stop letting the system exploit you. Form your own communities on your crumbling world. Your rulers hold you by your endurance to carry the burdens they impose, by your generosity when you hear cries of despair, and above all, by your innocence which cannot grasp the depths of their evil. The world you are living in is the world they wanted. Leave them to it. Those who are eager to build a better world, a world of freedom and opportunity, a world based on mutual respect, in that world you will not receive alms, nor pity, nor forgiveness of sins, but honor, respect, and justice. Don't let the fire go out spark by irreplaceable spark in confusion and despair. The world you desire can be one. It exists. It is real. It is possible. It is yours. Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com, the number one listener-supported radio station on the internet. It's your world. Take it. Thank you for listening to Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com, the number one listener-supported radio station on the internet. 
Please help support this station so this battle can continue forward. Revolution Radio! Thank you for listening to Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com. Any commercial advertising you may hear in this program is of the sole discretion and benefit of the host of whose program you are listening to. Revolution Radio does not endorse any commercial products, nor does it accept monetary compensation or advertising of commercial products, nor will it ever. We are and shall remain 100% listener supported. Any product advertising on this program are considered used and Revolution Radio shall not be held liable for any Claims or damages received from any product advertised within this program. Revolution Radio, where information never sleeps. The opinion expressed on this radio station, its programs, and its website by the hosts, guests, and call-in listeners or chatters are solely the opinions of the original source who expressed them. They do not necessarily represent the opinions of Revolution Radio and FreedomSlips.com, its staff, or affiliates. You're listening to Revolution Radio, FreedomSlips.com, 100% listener-supported radio, and now we return you to your host. All right, let's just go straight back to this uh, Karen Kingston conversation with Maria Z from a couple of weeks ago. It's good material, this, I think. So it's worth getting it on the record, spreading it around a little, little bit. may be that's the public trying to figure out the biggest experiment according to greg hunt in human history that we're allowed to do that uh and and i I think too even like for people condemning me like they're like well she's not a doctor she's you know and i'm like do you not know what i do for a living i take the phase three and i take the peer-reviewed publications and i simplify them into content charts and graphs for doctors to understand this is literally what I do for a living, you know? Yeah. And I was called a conspiracy theorist who Googled stuff. I'm like, do you understand that the FDA does not search engine optimize their data? And either does the NIH, right? You have to know how to use the database to find the data. By the way, this is something, this is something that they've done to the New Zealand whistleblower as well, by the way. Oh, he's not a vaccine expert. He doesn't need to be a vaccine expert. He's a data analyst looking at data. He doesn't need to be a vaccinologist to look at data. It's his profession. Exactly. That's the thing. I know. And that's what people don't understand. And again, someone would be like, well, Attorney General Paxton can't sue Pfizer. He's not a doctor. No, he's the Attorney General's a lawyer. And this is what, yeah. And and so what's an important point here, too, is uh, what they, what. The, the big part, and, and I know this from working at Pfizer, is when you're first to market, you have to be first to market, and then you want to maintain that position first to market for as long as possible so that you can gain the lion's share of the market and then maintain it. So to be market leader, you want to be first to market, and then you want to suppress any competition from coming to market, and you want to capture as much share as possible. Because if you get the first shot or the first pill into somebody, then they're more likely to be loyal to your brand. 
right? So it's going to, so that way when competitors come to market, they've already gotten your product, they're going to stay with your product. And Pfizer did that to contain about a 70% market share in the US and the EU. Uh, by the end of 2022, that market share was 63% per their um, investor report. So they maintained the, the majority, more than 50%. Oh, and then Alex Berenson, again, he was on a, an interesting interview. People want to look it up. Um, but he did an interview a couple months ago on Rogan. Uh, and he just said, you know, remember what they promised us, that it was going to stop the infection, stop transmission, end the pandemic. And he goes, at this point, we don't know the long-term effects of the vaccines, uh, so it's immoral and unethical to keep using them. And during the interview, he talks about his lawsuit against Pfizer and Twitter on it, too. So it's an interesting. So this is interesting because I've been using this slide in, I, on the Clay Clark tour when I spoke in 2021 and in 2022 a number of times. Uh, I was appalled that Albert Berla called me a criminal, you know, yeah. called you a criminal. So he went on NBC on November 9th in 2021, and he said, people who spread misinformation on COVID vaccines are criminals and have cost millions of lives. Uh, paragraph 137 in the, in the complaint from Attorney General, again, Paxson against Pfizer says, on November 9th, 2021, he charged that person uh, who, charged person who spread so-called misinformation conserving COVID-19 vaccines as criminals who have literally cost millions of lives. So Amazing. I'm just like, I know, I just, I went through this and I was just, I feel like maybe all the work I did wasn't in vain. Maybe someone saw some of it, you know? Oh, Karen, uh, I, I don't think it was in vain at all. Yeah. I, I don't but think it was in vain at all. A couple of months ago, I was worried <laughs> that uh, uh, I, I, I did something, you know, um, that was futile, but, you know, I'm happy. I'm, I'm pleased to be alive to see this day. So, uh, so again, they also are filing under Section 7.47, which is the restraining order. And the restraining order is to have Pfizer to stop making claims and also to not uh, collaborate with um, social media. So um, that's right. So I'm just going to go to the end of the petition of the lawsuit where the prayer is the relief that they're asking for. Um, what they're asking for is basically to order Pfizer to put a restraining order on Pfizer so they stop making representations about the efficacy of the COVID-19 vaccine that are same or similar to the misrepresentations outlined in this petition. And they, threw, they also talk about the myocarditis, that that was not properly disclosed and that was new all on. Um, they also say um, put a restraining order on Pfizer to stop coordinating with social media platforms to silence the truth, uh, truthful speech about the COVID, Pfizer's COVID vaccine efficacy. Now, this is important because it's going to set a precedent for what Biden's trying to do, which is to have artificial intelligence police us regarding if we say anything that goes against the government narrative. And mm -hmm. then, you know, Moderna has a $150 million division now that is policing all discussions around mRNA and vaccines to silence them. Uh, and they're policing it across social media. So this is an important keep, you know, no matter where you are in this world, what country you're in, what state you're in, the United States, pray for success of this lawsuit. So this is what's important, too. So they, they want uh, $10,000 per violation. So there's five counts. And under the five counts, there's 18 violations in total. It's my understanding that they cannot, that it's $50,000 per combination max that they can that they could sue Pfizer. I don't think they could sue 180,000 times 3.5 million. But right. if it is 50,000 times 3.5 million, you're talking about a quarter trillion dollars from a 250 billion dollar fine. Yep. So 
They're saying this is going to exceed $10 million. Um, what, what I, what I um, really liked about this, and I didn't pull it up, was again, they were saying because there is a, uh, a non-financial restitution that we're asking for, which is the restraining order, um, we have to have expedited discovery and expedited go to, co go to court. So that's why, why they don't want to bring in the federal government at this time. They want this to happen fast. Um, so they're also asking that, um, that, that the defendant cannot um, accountability and the ruling under bankruptcy. So that's really important. So there's, they know they're going to be suing the pants off of Pfizer. And, you know, meanwhile, Pfizer, I mean, I think the largest fine they paid was $4 billion under the Norotten um, Gabapentin fine, uh, you know, and that didn't make them file bankruptcies, right? So, but this, this could potentially be $250 billion, or I think it's going to be $225 billion. Why do I think that? Uh, <clears throat> under uh, sections, um, the restraining order, section 747, what do they look at in regards to the amount of the penalty imposed? Again, it's the number of counts times the number of violations, you know, so you're looking at, if you just do the math, that's $225 billion. So judge can look at the history of previous violations, the amount necessary to deter future violations by the perpetrator and others, and the economic impact on the perpetrator, which is Pfizer. Well, this is their criminal track record, okay? They have paid a total of over $10 billion in fines, and it has not deterred them. Typically, what is a fine? Like, okay, the, the Neurotin fine was $4 billion. So um, it does, they do a formula, again, violence times the victims, but they also can say it's three times your revenue. What was Pfizer's revenue? Okay, they call it out in the, in the complaint, in the lawsuit. Pfizer did, in 2021 and 2022, $75 billion in revenue. Right. Total more than $100 billion, just for the shots. A $10 billion fine would be nothing to Pfizer. Three times $75 billion is $225 billion. It's a quarter trillion dollars. So that is what we are potentially looking at, Pfizer being signed. So, Fantastic. Um, yeah, so that's it. And then just real quick, they should have never used this for children. Uh, the FDA knew in June of 2021 that it would be impossible to conduct a trial of a vaccine that'd be more effective than children's natural immune system, their white blood cells. Uh, they said in the November 20th data that they were studying the children 12 through 15, and they said the risk-benefit ratio was not favorable, meaning it was harming the kids. Yes, I remember you and right. I did an interview at the, at the time uh, when this came out. Yeah, and, and then this guy should go to jail. Uh, this is Hotez, Steve Hotez, who said, that it's 100% effective in children and well-tolerated. We knew it wasn't well-tolerated in November 2021 when the FDA said it doesn't have a favorable risk-benefit ratio, meaning it had an unfavorable uh, side effect profile, meaning it's causing more harm than good. Yes. So uh, this, he just lied. Uh, and I, this is what I find so alarming, I just want to bring this up again, is not only did he said 85 and older likely murdered a million, you know, uh, you know, a percentage of the million of, that we likely lost in 2021, but it has um, the vaccination of adults and uh, seniors, you know, grandparents, aunts, uncles, and parents, and siblings had a very strange effect on young children, infants, and babies. It had an inverse effect. So for unvaccinated ages zero through 14, um, mortality in vaccinated getting vaccinated, children were becoming hospitalized or dying. You can see that from the CDC's own data from 2021, where um, whereas the scenes rolled out, you get the emergency use for um, 
for adults in the end of 2020, and then you get the emergency uh, use for children 12 to 15. This age group up here is zero to four-year-olds. It's babies and toddlers. As more of their family gets vaccinated, more of them end up going into the hospital with COVID. Yeah, and this yeah. is even even bef before these babies were injected. So this is this is shedding. This is shedding. And if you want to take a look at the five to twelve year olds being vaccinated, if it had any benefit, that's this group here, the blue and the this light group. Um, if it had any benefit, then this line for those two groups would go like this. Or sorry, it would go like this. Down. Go down. Right. Yes. Not the other way around. But it, it goes like a roller coaster. So it shows there's absolutely no correlation between vaccination and preventing hospitalization. Uh, if anything, it causes it. So I just wanted to share that. And that's, that's basically it. That's the end of that uh, present presentation. And though this is the Moderna, um, I think people are aware of this. This is what I was just mentioning, that Moderna um, formed a, a group of um, the uh, 150 million division here. It says here they're basically their former, um, their former secret service uh Nikki something or other here. Rootman. Rootman, yep. Yeah. Nearly 20 years as an analyst with the FBI, uh, working from the FBI's Boston office during the COVID-19 effort known as Operation Warp Speed. Uh, yeah, I think I think this is a, a good opportunity to talk about uh, Biden's executive order. Karen, if you're done going yeah. through your slides, I'll bring that up next yeah, uh, because this is important. They're, they're using artificial intelligence. So this is Biden, blue silk artificial intelligence to monitor vaccine-related conversations across 150 million websites nearly 200 countries. So that is what Biden's executive order is. Well, all of this, Karen, first of all, thank you for taking us through. It's, it looks like a phenomenal case in Texas. And uh, and I'm, I'm very, very excited to see people determined to holding Big Pharma accountable. But it's not just about holding Pfizer accountable. It's not just about suing Lana Ford any more fines. This is about we get this stuff into the mainstream, just like Florida got the word bioweapon into the local mainstream media. Uh, and, and we increase... Uh, the the um, the hesitancy in the population to not get any more of these injections because they are vital for the AI world society. And this is where I'm going to bring up Biden's executive order. So President Biden issues executive order on safe, secure and trustworthy artificial intelligence. There is actually also a proposed memorandum for the heads of executive departments and agencies, which I will go through in more detail in a separate presentation. But, but Karen, from what you understand, um, take us through what this actually all means um, and how they're really planning on having AI at the helm here in line with what Moderna's already doing. Sure. So what happened was after Xi Jinping came to San Francisco on November 17th, he did meet with Biden. And he, I don't know if people know this. He met with Xi Jinping, met with Elon Musk. Uh, he met with the CEO of Apple. Uh, he met with the, the president of Bank of America. So he met with financial institutions as well. And uh, after Xi Jinping left, uh, Biden, uh, the FCC, the, the um, department in our government that uh, the federal that federal communication that monitors communications, uh, they, they basically endorse this executive order of Biden. This is going to go into effect in two months. And what it is, is using artificial intelligence to monitor uh, the World Wide Web. So if people are putting out information that goes against the government narrative, uh, then uh, you would be held to account under arbitration clauses that we're not even aware of, right, just for using Google or for using um, Facebook. Uh, you'll be held to account under those arbitration clauses 
uh, if you posted something that goes against the narrative. So it's exactly what Moderna is doing. So if you post something that's going to cause vaccine hesitancy, there may be an arbitration clause, which means you're right. Um, it's, it's done by an arbitrator, which is typically a judge or three judges. And um, it's predetermined what the fines are. So you may be fined $250,000 or you may no longer have access to your bank account. Right. That's why um, tech was meeting with Xi Jinping and with the head of the head of BlackRock was there. Larry Fink was there, too. And again, the head of Bank of America. Um, and so that's what this is, is it is the U.S. monitoring anything that you do online from your personal websites to your actually your emails. Right. Microsoft is in there, too. We use Microsoft Outlook. And if you say anything, you can be your um, you can you can be fined at least at a minimum you can be fined potentially arrested and the arbitration clause or is what's so terrifying is because um the arbitrator according to what i understand when i read this is um ai is going to surveil whether or not you are rules you know going against the narrative and then ai is the arbitrator which will determine what the punishment is uh, and you cannot go to a court of law court this you can't break that arbitration which Again, in the state of Texas, you can because they're saying we're not we're not having any of this. Right. Um, but in the state of California, it could be different. Well, this is where I want to chime in about what I know about the AI World Society, because um, and, and I've spoken publicly about this. Uh, if anyone has missed my series on this uh, on this topic, I really, really need you to go to zmedia.com, go to the interviews page and search 2045 and watch this four-part series, parts one through to four. Because what Karen is describing is what I exposed about the UN 100 uh, remaking the world towards an age of global enlightenment. They have openly stated, we have entered the world into a new social contract uh, with it because we held public consultations and everyone was in favour. Their public consultation involved getting a researcher from MIT and another guy uh, to talk about, you know, are we actually um, going to get the judicial system replaced by AI, remove human beings? And the MIT researcher said that this is absolutely a red line for me. We cannot replace the human judicial system with AI and the guy from the Boston Global Forum said oh well you know we've got to do it because things are just going this way uh, let's move along and so that was their public consultation done and so now they can enter you into a social contract where you are referred to as an object in the AI world society you've been signed up as an AI world citizen whether you like it or not and they plan on transitioning you from a real life into an AI life where AI is the arbiter of truth the justice system absolutely everything now uh i want to talk about uh some time ago Karen i released a report that was happening in uh, in the United States. And uh, I proved from the National Oceanic Atmospheric Association's website that they had uploaded completed geoengineering projects onto their website. And I showed them there were they were happening in Colorado, in Texas, in multiple states, California, uh, whether it be a snowpack, whether it be rainfall packs, whether it be blocking the rain, whatever it was, blocking out the sun, uh, there was proof of exactly how many, how much of these toxins were put into the air, what kind of aircraft, was it a land operation, you know, all everything, everything's there. And at the time I questioned myself and I said, why is the NOAA publishing something that is literally damning evidence that geoengineering is occurring? And I went into uh, their omics strategy, Karen, 
which, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, needed to be completed by 2025. And when I read this, Omicron can go onto the NOAA website and look at their omic strategy. They say that they were uploading everything onto the cloud so that uh, they could feed AI so that AI could make better climate predictions. So what happens when you feed AI through the cloud that you have to geoengineer to stop climate change? Then AI will spit out more recommendations that we need to do more geoengineering. What happens when you tell AI that, um, you know, uh, whatever you want, whatever rulings you want or what is misinformation or, uh, you know, this is how we need to police the Internet? What happens? Uh, AI will become just as, if not more tyrannical than the guys we're already dealing with. And if you look at the Ukraine 24 project and the official fundraising platform of Ukraine, they plan to remove all government and replace it with AI, and they think it's great because you're removing bureaucracy. So that is the plan, Karen. And the reason I've taken the time to explain this is because uh, people feel quite overwhelmed, but it is absolutely what they're planning to do, and this executive order proves it. What Can you just explain to us what you said before about the importance of this Texas Attorney General case uh, and, and how this actually put, throws a huge spanner in the works for this AI government. Yeah, the, so they, um, again, what I found extremely alarming about the executive order on AI is that it clearly states there's going to be arbitrary clauses in every platform that you use. Uh, people who have been employed in the United States under your employment contract, sometimes there'll be an arbitration clause, which again goes to a judge, you know, um, the arbitrator in Biden's um, executive order is AI. So there is no, you just stay out of the judiciary completely, right? You stay out of the, the public view. So what Ken Paxton is saying in his Pfizer is that um, private companies, this fascism cannot work with the U.S. government to silence truth tellers, right? And um, that's, and he's asking for relief for the fact that they, they conspired to do that. So if this case is successful, then Biden's executive order will have no standing in the state of Texas. They won't be able to enforce it. So it's really important. I think it also will raise awareness to the fact that what's going on with AI and then the Moderna, um, Moderna could be charged with uh, criminally for them having their, their AI department now using Blue Silk, the AI, to monitor 50 million websites and silence anyone that says anything negative about mRNA technology or vaccines. Yep. Um, so that's why this is so important. It'll create, it'll create standing in the United States, uh, specifically in the state of Texas. I think it'll also create awareness um, so that more people will be aware of um, what actually is going on in this, as you're saying, this global overtake of AI. And I can tell you, Maria, that what they're calling coronaviruses, what they're calling mRNA technology, these sequences, um, they're, they're, all, they're all created by AI. So these multi-species pathogens that are merged with technologies, it's all done by AI. None of this was done by mankind. So if you were to tell AI you want to um, decrease uh, global warming, you know, AI might say, okay, well, the number one problem with global warming is human beings. So how do we decrease human beings, right? oh, we can create synthetic pathogens that look like cholesterol to a human being so it can underwrite, go under their innate immune system, hijack their cells, and these so we shorten the lifespan. That way we don't have almost 7 million people, 85 million in the United States. We get that number down to less than 1 million. And 
Karen, people might think, oh, well, they, they'd never publicly say that. They'd think of another way of repackaging it, really, because they're talking about slaughtering cows uh, for the sake of climate change. They're, they make statements about how we're overpopulated. Gates has said if we do a really great job on vaccines, we can depopulate the planet. I'm paraphrasing, but this is, you know, these are the statements that these people make. Uh, they're not mucking around when it comes to their depopulation efforts. Now, these very same architects, or at least their friends, are, um, you know, creating these AIs or handing over the keys to the judicial system and the way that the world operates to AI, what do you think it's going to do? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I don't think people, even if you're, um, let's say you're, anti, you're an anti-human person, like you're pro-environment anti-human, there's people like that. So you care about, you know, the blue whales and the platypus and the dolphins, and but you don't care about humans. Well, keep in mind that this same MRA technology is being used in geoengineering, right? So there are aerosetic pathogens, that's what I call them. They're mRNA, modified ribonucleic acids, merged with non-species um, DNA, foreign to whatever that species is, and technologies. Well, they figured out how to hijack the photosynthesis process of chloroplasts, right? So chloroplasts are in all green plants and algae. So when they hijack the photosynthesis process, Maria, um, whether it's algae in the ocean and kelp or algae in your lake or whether it's our pine trees, they are no longer going to be producing oxygen. They're going to be producing something else, whether it's lettuce out of the UC Irvine uh, or tobacco out of UC Irvine, UC Riverside, sorry, research in California, where they hijacked photosynthesis so that instead of tobacco plants and lettuce producing oxygen, they're producing multi-species SARS-CoV-2 viruses. And so I'm like, I don't understand how people see this, right? And you, you said Bill Gates is very clear about killing off all the cows and cattle. And then, you know, you have vegetarians who are like, well, well, we don't want to eat that meat anyway. So vegetarian meat, well, your nutrients for synthetic meat um, is is animal embryos. That's that's non-disputable. They're using animal embryos. And we don't know if some of those embryos are human embryos, which would explain why in vegetarian meats they find human DNA. So those are the starter nutrients. You're being lied to the same way Pfizer lied to us about this being a vaccine. It's never a vaccine. It is an advanced gene editing technology, you know, and diagnostic. And uh, it's also a, a neurological weapon. You know, we know that these spike, what they're calling the modified RNA, they're calling a spike protein. We know it goes to the blood-brain barrier. It, it attacks the hippocampus, which is in charge of executive function, your ability to make decisions. And it's in charge of your short and long-term memory. So, um, and then it does the gene editing. So God did not make us to, um, to actually uh, action from non-human DNA. We don't have the receptors in our body to do that. We were not made that way. Uh, this, that's why I always call this a demonic technology where it actually, you know, it actually hosts that positive ionic charge and a positive electric charge which, you know, no lipid in nature does, so it can actually penetrate cells, penetrate the nucleus, and start rewriting the DNA so that the cells inside the human start expressing DNA that's foreign to us. This is demonic. God did not make this this way. Read the book of Leviticus again if you have to. You are not supposed to merge species. Yeah. Um, I, I just want to comment on something that you said before, Karen, uh, and I want to do it on air. I don't want to wait till we're off air. You said, you know, there was a time a couple of months ago where I really wondered whether um, everything I'd done was in vain. And, uh, and, and I hope I'm not putting you on the spot here by saying this, but um, I, I want, I think I can speak for 
many, many people, dozens around the world, when I say, Karen, absolutely not. Uh, we are, um, you know, in, in the truth community, just like just like in any other sort of public space, I guess, uh, subject to a lot of public scrutiny. Um, and, you know, p- part of that I'm I'm OK with because I want people to be critical thinkers and I want them to question everything. Um, I'm glad that they do. And then in, in some regard, uh, we're also subject to some of the most vicious attacks from within. Um, and, you know, whether those people are genuine people uh, who are just, you know, uh, attacking others for various reasons, whether it be ego or whatever it is, uh, regardless, um, I I have you are one of the first people that I interviewed. In fact, I found out from you uh, in December of 2021 in an interview that went absolutely bonkers viral in less than 12 hours, that every injection approved by the WHO had the ability to track and trace is something that set the whole world on the on, on the course to investigate what these injections were really about. I, I regard you, Karen, as one of the most important bringers of this information uh, around these injections and the agenda in the world. And so, uh, you know, uh, nothing, nothing that you've done has been in vain. And I truly believe that the information you've released matters. Clearly, much of it is in this case. Uh, And what I really, really am encouraging now is people all around the world to get the information uh, and get it out there. And I'm going to bring Karen's substack up for a second. I don't mean to go on, Karen, but it's important that, that people say this. Um, you've you've got uh, a, a myriad of resources on your Substack for people, including how people can sue Pfizer. Uh, the the website is Substack.com. Karen Kingston or Karen Kingston. It's been up on the screen the whole time. Substack.com. Please go there. Please subscribe and support Karen's work. Thank you. Yeah, the the, the sheriff's letter is is. Um very powerful. It's kind of why I had to leave the country for a while. Actually, it is why I had to leave the country. Um, and, you know, I have to say, I, I did blow the lid off the of synthetic biology, you know, with your help and the help of Stu Peters, obviously. And people didn't understand what the synthetic meat was or the cultivated meat. Okay, we're almost at the end of the <clears throat> Karen Kingston conversation. That's an hour and 20 minutes in. So that that covers what I wanted to do really today. So what I'm going to do is finish off with some of Alex Christopher, uh, who does daily walkabout videos, which are interesting. They're quite light. It's geopolitics, but it's done in a very kind of uh, humorous light. I like, and uh, Alex Procurus is very serious, but Alexander Christoforou is less serious about how he does it. Tends to be in in a park in Prague or Athens or Moscow or wherever. Let me see if I can find his... I was watching this just before I started the show. And again, I was trying to avoid geopolitics on the Wednesday show, but that's what I've been watching. So 
it's going to have to be geopolitics, I'm afraid, until my head moves into something else. I could do a little bit of course in miracles, but it doesn't really fit with the the vaccine stuff and the court case material that I've just played. So I don't want to be too jarring with contrasts of material. So this is today's walkabout video from Alex Christoforo, who's uh, one of the main guys at the Duran, which again I recommend. It's a good, solid, information-packed podcast. We'll get there in a second when Bitchute decides it wants to play. Here we go. This will take us up to the end of the show, probably. Rev Radio is listener supported, so if you do want to make a contribution, you can. Часть польских земель, Львов и так далее, сколько там, несколько областей крупных, там 10 миллионов человек проживают. Не обижать поляков, компенсировал их потери за счет Германии. Отдал восточные земли Гердидор, да и сам Данцик. Часть отобрал у Румынии, часть у Венгрии. Все отдал туда, в Украину. Это... И люди, которые там живут, многие, во всяком случае, я знаю это наверняка, сто процентов, они хотят вернуться на свою историческую родину. А те страны, которые потеряли эти территории, и прежде всего Польша, спят и видят вернуть. В этом смысле только Россия могла быть гарантом территориальной целостности Украины. Не хотят? Не надо. История все расставит на свои места. Мы мешать не будем, но свое не отдадим. Вот что все должны понять. И в Украине, те, кто агрессивно настроен в отношении России, и в Европе, и в Соединенных Штатах. Хотят договариваться, пусть договариваются. Мы будем делать, исходя из наших интересов. News and let's uh, let's start things off with the defense ministry board meeting that took place yesterday with uh, with Russian President Vladimir Putin and the defense minister Sergei Shoigu in attendance and they both made some very interesting statements and we'll start with. The Russian president and what he said, and then we'll talk about what uh, Shoigu, defense minister, said. And I think the the statement that has everyone talking from Putin is when he talked about the west of Ukraine. See what Putin said is that uh, Poland sleeps and sees how to recuperate the lands that were given to Ukraine in reference to the west of Ukraine. And Putin said that Russia will not interfere, but we will not give up ours. Putin went on to say, if they want to negotiate, let them negotiate. 
but Russia will do so based on its interest. So that is a summary of what Putin said. It was about a two-minute statement. The entirety of the statement was two minutes. And uh, in this statement, Putin provides some, some historical context, and he gets into, into World War II and the territory that, that Poland lost and was incorporated in Ukraine. He also talks about uh, Hungary and, and uh, these areas that, uh, that were incorporated into Ukraine. And, and he also talks about areas in Germany that then were compensated to Poland. So he, he gives kind of a, a bit of a historical context to, to, the, to the of his statement, which is that, that Poland wants to recuperate these lands and uh, Russia would not interfere, but we will not give, give up our right as well, which is we're saying that Russia is not going to to give up their right to incorporate Russian lands, historic, historically Russian lands. And I think that's that's the definite um, conclusion that we can take from from Putin's statement, which is that whatever lands and territory was is historically Russian. That's coming back. Now, in what form is that coming back? Is it going to be part of, of Russia? Is it going to be part of the Russian Federation or something else? I don't know. But if there's one definite that we can take away from, from what Putin said yesterday and what many Russian officials have been saying over the past month, actually, it's that uh, whatever, whatever territory is uh, historically Russian in, uh, in Ukraine, well, it's, it's going to, to have those, those historically friendly Russian ties again. It's going to be part of the Ruski Mir, in other words. Once again, I don't know if that's, that means uh, an annexation, if that means a different country or, or region that's, that's friendly to Russia and kicks out the, the Banderites and all of these guys and kicks out the collective West. I don't know. I don't know what that means, but no doubt about it. What, what Putin meant yesterday is, is that areas like Odessa, for example, it's, uh, it's coming back to the Russian world, to the Ruski Mir. And all of this hostility uh, that the United States and the collective West has, has built into these territories, Russia is going to get rid of it. And these territories are going to come back back home to the Russian world. I think the definite that you could take away from Putin's statement. The other definite that you could take away from Putin's statement is that uh, Russia is not interested in the west of Ukraine. And they've said this multiple times as well in the past. And uh, Putin said it again yesterday. Russia doesn't care about the west of Ukraine. Now, what that means for the future of the west of Ukraine, I don't know. I believe that in his statement, Putin is telling Poland, we can uh, can deal with the west of Ukraine the easy way or the hard way. I think that's kind of the, the takeaway that I got from Putin's statement. The easy way is we can negotiate it. The hard way is who knows? Who knows? We could have, a, a, I don't know, a border somewhere in the west of Ukraine where Poland is on one side and the Russians are on the other side and... It's Russia facing off against Poland, NATO, and it's a militarized border, and, and that'll be that. I think that was 
that was what he was getting at. That's my take on what Putin said. The one, the two definites from his statements, the two definite conclusions is Ruski Mir, whatever was historically Russian, culturally, historically, uh, language, whatever is connected to Russia, that's, that's coming back to Russia. Everything else can deal with it through negotiations or we can figure out another formula, <laughs> whatever that other formula may be. So uh, that, was, that was the statement from Putin that had everyone talking. But uh, Putin said a lot of other interesting things in his uh, statement. He said that uh, the U.S., over the many years, they've, uh, they've actively worked Russia and Europe apart. And uh, he then said that as they were pulling Russia and Europe apart inside of uh, Ukraine, they were supporting the Bandera ideology and they made people like Stepan Bandera. Uh, they turned them into, into heroes. And Putin actually admitted that he worked. He actually said, in this sense, they have won over us if we can say so. So the strategy of, of separating Russia from Europe uh, worked, and the strategy of building up the NAZI Bandera forces in Ukraine, that, that also worked. But then Putin went on to say that the new narrative, now what the U.S. is, is working on, now what they're doing, uh, is they're building up the narrative of the Russian threat, which is that Russia is going to, to attack NATO. So Putin said that that is the, the new narrative that they're cooking up. And, and Putin hinted at, at how that is kind of working as well, because he said that uh, the EU leadership, the current leadership in the European Union, they're weak-willed. That's what he said, to, to push back against this Russia is a threat to Europe and uh, wants to attack NATO, this narrative. He said that the EU leadership is spineless and weak-willed. <laughs> quite, a, quite an interesting statement. Let me find the quote here. The weak-willed, spineless generation of today's politicians in Europe cannot stand against this. They can't, uh, they can't push back against the separation of Russia and Europe. They can't push back against the NAZI, Bandera ideology in, uh, in Ukraine. And uh, they can't push back against this Russia is a threat to NATO narrative. So that was an interesting statement from Putin. A very interesting statement from Putin. And it makes it Poland is to, is to operate in one form or another. I don't know how it would be. Let's say they were to incorporate the, the west of Ukraine into Poland somehow, an autonomous republic, uh, a proper part of Poland. I don't know. Let's just say something like that actually did happen. Uh, Poland would have to deal with the, with the rights, with the Bandera ideology, which not only hates Russians, the Bandera ideology hates Poles as well. And the interesting part about it, the irony of it all, is that if this was to happen and Poland was to incorporate this, this western part of Ukraine into Poland, uh, 
Poland would have to deal with this Bandera ideology, which is a Bandera ideology that Poland itself has been funding and arming over the past two years in order to to uh, to go after Russia. And that ideology would then be turned against Poland. It would be interesting. That would that would be an interesting uh, turn of events. And then, of course, if, if if this was to happen and Poland was to was to take the west of Ukraine, then uh, then what would Germany say? I, I can see Germany approaching Poland and saying, "Okay, you've uh, you've reclaimed." your land from from post world war ii so isn't it time for for you poland to give germany back the land that was compensated to you so a whole kind a whole bunch of interesting scenarios could unfold from from what could be a very real situation that putin was hinting at uh let's see putin also said that that right now in the conflict, Russia has the advantage. That he said Russia basically can do uh, whatever it wants on the battlefield right now. If the command, if the Russian command says active defense, then active defense. And in this sense, Russia has complete advantage on the battlefield. And then Putin also said that, let me find the quote here. That the myth of the invulnerability of Western military equipment has collapsed. He said that as well. Describing the current advantage of Russian troops, Putin said, in essence, we are doing what we consider necessary. What we want, wherever commanders decide active defense is best, it takes place. And where it is needed, we improve our positions. He then said that Ukraine has suffered significant casualties and is running out of reserves. He claimed that Kiev's military strategy was motivated by show to their true masters at least some results of their much-hyped so-called counteroffensive. That's a direct quote. So uh, that's pretty much a summary. That's a summary of what uh, Putin said during this defense ministry meeting. And let's uh, let's get into what Shoigu, the defense minister, said. Shoigu, he came out with numbers of Ukrainian losses, killed and wounded, and that number is 383,000. That's for the entirety of the special military operation. Shoigu said, since the start of the special operation, the Ukrainian Armed Forces casualties have exceeded 383,000 service members killed and wounded, 14,000 tanks, infantry fighting vehicles, and armored cars, 553 warplanes and 259 helicopters, 8,500 artillery planes, and multiple launch rocket systems. So that is, uh, that is Shoigu. 300. All right, so that's Alex Christoforo. Um, the daily walkabout videos I recommend, and I recommend Alex Mercurius as well, but he's doing an hour and a half every day, and it's very dry and very repetitive, whereas Alex Christoforo is less dry and much less repetitive, and he does about 40 minutes a day.
which is just about right. Um, the other videos, if I'm awake all night, which I have been recently, then I listen to Alex Mercurius, and during the daytime, I'll I'll put on Alex Christoforou. I prefer the lighter version personally, but uh, sometimes you need to have somebody read a, an article from the Financial Times to you, or at least summarise it just so so it goes in your head a little bit. I find that uh, it helps when people are reading stuff to me. Audiobooks are always easier to listen to than reading online anyway. So that's how I do it, at least. So Re Revolution Radio is listener-supported, as I said before. And if you want to make a contribution, you can do that at revolution.radio, and you'll find uh, a way to do that using Patreon or using DonorBox, either monthly recurring donation or as a one-off payment. Uh, you can always, if you don't have the money, come down and support us in the chat room have a conversation, share resources and uh, support us that way. I'm more or less done. I think it's, uh, I'll be back on Saturday assuming that I'm not asleep and I'll be back on Wednesday next week assuming the technical issues don't come back. I think we're probably alright as long as I, as long as I network reset my laptop enough to the shores to get a clean signal then then we should be all right i just have to remember to do it that's the thing i, I, I would prefer not to have to net reset twice a week but it seems like that's the way the world is so that's what i'm going to have to do so i'm going to keep these shows loose until at least january they might stay loose actually this one, if it, if it does turn into a geopolitics show, then I apologize, but that's where my head is at the moment. And uh, the human race as a whole is, is under threat. So we might end up doing something about bio-warfare on, on the two-hour lock. It's the only place to, to put it, because it's difficult to, with the material that I'm watching, it's difficult to cut it down to a shorter version because of the way that the converse, conversations go. So it might end up being a two-hour block of a four-hour podcast. Eye diseases and things like that. So that's, that's the threat that I'm concerned about because of the material that I'm watching. But again, it may not be real. None of it may be real. Philosophically, I don't think any of it's real. But I can't prove that because it, feel, it feels real. It physically feels like it all exists. So it might be a, a physically real thing with an overlay of dream or nightmare, depending on your interpretation of it. I'm trying to stay out of the nightmare territory where it's difficult because there's a lot of interesting stuff and it all leads me into nightmare territory. Uh, I'm not really looking forward to a, a 
prion disease based zombie apocalypse which is all which is a possibility but it'll be 20 years down the media it'll be uh, neurological diseases and Coitsfeld Jakob disease and Alzheimer's and Parkinson's and all of those types of things are probably leading events to a zombie apocalypse so the world the world's kind of bleak if that's real if that interpretation of the world is real i could just be buying into somebody else's projection which is not really what i want to do but it's difficult to avoid so i'm having to talk myself out of it we'll see how far we get anyway i'm not going to do christmas eve about biowarfare i'll find something lighter to, to to do something music based on saturday and probably something music to next week i i shall sit down and think about that properly not pink floyd though because i've done a lot of pink floyd stuff and a lot of doctor who stuff but uh i'll find something else that's light enough to to not be the extinction of your human race <laughs> Just as as a principle on Christmas Eve, let's let's stick with stick with something relatively positive. Anyway, that's it for now. Uh, my name's Dennis. You've been listening to Free Association. Eagle Flower comes up next on Studio A, and uh, she's always got good stories to tell and a and an interesting approach. Uh, but I'll be back next week. I shall see you then. Thanks for listening, folks. And bye for now.
It is no secret that the so-called mainstream media is best described as controlled propaganda. Countless news stories are either totally ignored or spun with half-truths, and because of this, essential facts and vital information are often compromised. Dot every Friday night on Studio B at 10 p.m. Eastern and learn why the story behind the story was nominated for a Peabody Award in its second year of producing unparalleled broadcasting excellence in 1997. That is, if you really care about learning the truth. Interrupt your normally scheduled programming to bring you this important broadcasting announcement. Now is the time to explore your greatest potential, embracing truth, health, and wellness while discarding the system and exposing its corruption. Experience.